0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the coronavirus, what you need to know and how to protect yourself. How will it affect business and commerce over and above the health issues? And the latest on the LRT task force, will it be worth our while? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Coronavirus continues to grow, and the World Health Organization uh, is keeping a, a close eye on all of this and, and monitoring it and, and uh, trying to see whether it's a world threat or not. What has to happen for that to all uh, come into effect? Let's ask Stephanie DeWitt, or Associate Professor, Health Sciences and Biology, Undergraduate Advisor, Health Sciences, Wilfred Laurier, and with us now. Thanks for the time, Stephanie much appreciated. Nice to meet you Scott. So uh, where is the World Health Organization on this at this point point? and what happens if they decide to flip the next switch and, uh, and, and make this an actual, uh, an actual warning, an actual uh, worldwide event?
1: Well, um, I think right now they're monitoring it carefully. They're trying to get as much information as they can, um, because the next step is is pretty dramatic. It puts all governments globally um, at an alert um, to pay attention to the virus, to make p- uh, precautions, particularly with travel, um, so that uh, to try to restrict this virus from moving. Um, there's there isn't a treatment for this infection, so the best way to stop it is quarantine. Um, And so that's where the World Health Organization is right now deciding what the risk is and, and what's the appropriate response.
0: Uh, We understand China has uh, anywhere around Wuhan, uh, there's three cities around there that they have restricted movement of people and such, obviously uh, deaths there. Uh, What is the situation in North America? I understand we have one confirmed case in the United States and monitoring others in Canada. Is that valid?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that that's true. Uh, Because this virus has such a long incubation period, you could be infected if you were in the area around Wuhan and then you travel. Um, 10 days later, you, you'd just be starting to get symptoms. So um, that means that we're still trying to figure out where everyone is who got exposed to this virus.
0: And do we know anything about its origins? We're hearing that uh, obviously it started in around Wuhan. Uh, Wuhan. We hear that it it could be traced to a fish market. We're now hearing that uh, sources could be snakes and bats. What what do we know there?
1: Well, uh, right now we don't know much. Um, we we know that if we look at similar viruses, so looking at. SARS, which was a similar virus to to this novel coronavirus, it's um, the the virus has a reservoir. That's where it normally hangs out. And it was a it was a bat that in that a bit a civet, a kind of exotic cat, um, and then a human consumed the cat. Um, so in in that case, it was all mammals. Uh, in this case, there's been some suggestion that this virus most is most similar to um coronaviruses that infect snakes um we know snakes are consumed in asia it would be really unusual um for a virus to be able to infect a cold-blooded animal and then mutate in such a way to be able to infect a warm-blooded human um but viruses are unusual so you never know
0: (laughs) wow that is quite a challenge holy smokes um so why does it appear? Why did SARS? Why why does China come to the forefront whenever we we mention whether it's it's the coronas, whether it's SARS? What is it about that part of the world? Are they doing enough to monitor this sort sort of thing? Is it what is in their food chain? What why does why does that seem to be ground zero for this? Well, gosh,
1: I'm I'm. There's a lot of factors that are involved and. Um, some of it, it, it actually is not just China. So there's a, a coronavirus that's circulating in the Middle East, the Middle Eastern
0: yeah, I heard um, that, yeah.
1: respiratory syndrome, MERS, um, and that actually came up from a camel. Um, right. I think it's coming from cultures where they're much more closely interacting with animals. Um, North America, a lot of us don't interact with animals closely, so any virus that's circulating in an animal species doesn't really reach us. But, but in some of these other cultures, um, they're eating more unusual species of animal. Um, they're interacting or in close quarters with, you know, birds that we, d- we don't live with our chickens. But in some of these right. other cultures, they do. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in close quarters, you have more chances to, to interact and, of course, to get infected.
0: Is, is, is the source of containing this, is, is the way to contain this to start there? Or how do we prevent this sort of thing?
1: Well, right now, it, it's proven that this virus can, can transmit between humans. So now uh, we're past the point of trying to stop right. humans from interacting with the animal. Now we have to try to stop infected humans from interacting with other humans. And that's where quarantine comes in.
0: How effective is quarantine? I mean, is that the best thing we can do at this point, is just keep people away from other people who have the disease or may have uh, a, a contact, uh, contracted the disease in some way? Uh, is, uh, we're certainly hearing that, that that's what's happening in, in China, that they're, they're just locking everybody down. Is that the answer here? It is,
1: actually, and, and that's kind of how SARS um, sort of ended, was uh, we right. just stopped the virus from being able to find another host. Um, because they're, you know, this is a virus that's brand new, we don't have a vaccine, Our antiviral therapies likely don't work. So um, you know, the best is just to try to keep the, the infected individual separate.
0: You talked about SARS. What did we learn from that?
1: Well I think we've learned a lot and particularly in Canada because we had such a, a strong um, outbreak in Toronto we have all the mechanisms in place we know how to uh, work with uh, a virus like this with SARS it was the frontline health workers healthcare providers that were at the most at risk because we weren't trained for something like this but now we are so um, I think if it ever came to Canada um, particularly Toronto we're much better prepared for this kind of an infection.
0: Uh, we've seen screening going on in airports and such. How effective is this? They've said that, you know, people who are experiencing illness should come forward, but are we likely to see that if someone's, you know, going to lose their flight or might be quarantined or how effective would that be?
1: Well, I mean, uh, the problem is, is that there's that 10 day incubation or what we think is probably seven to 10 days um, where you don't have any symptoms at all. So I think that's actually the point where you're going to be able to move around without even knowing you're infected. Once you're infected and you have a, a, fever. It's kind of hard to hide a fever. Um, But yeah, it it does require people to be honest. And um, in the case of these novel coronaviruses, though, um, you get very, very sick.
0: What is the difference? Because they say it's very much like a flu-like symptom. What is the difference between the typical flu that one may get and this? And how would one know if they've got the flu or this?
1: Well, I think if you have either, you should see your healthcare professional. um, Because both of those are reportable illnesses, having influenza or this. I mean, if you have a sniffy nose, don't worry about it. But if you have a fever, aches and pains, really feeling terrible, go see your doctor. Um, um, the coronavirus, this, this novel coronavirus causes a severe pneumonia that a percentage of people who are infected have to go on respirators, require multiple, um, we, um, you know, ICU and lots of health supports. You, you couldn't ignore
0: those kind of symptoms. Yeah, you know, you you know, it's something beyond the typical flu. Exactly. Uh, what about things like flu shots? Does this help this in any way? Not at all. No. no. <laughs> No. So loading up now isn't going to help you. That's right, but it will help you with the flu. Sure.
1: Yeah, which which is still circulating even though this coronavirus is, you know, very uh uh interesting and in the news, seasonal influenza is going to be uh, is a big impact on our health and, you know, so get your flu shot anyways.
0: Uh, so how uh, how should Canadians react to this? Um, I heard some say, don't get hysterical. I've, others, I've heard others say it's a concern. Where are we on this? Wh- wh- what do you tell the average Canadian?
1: Um, I would say just keep an eye on the news. Just keep yourself aware. Mm-hmm. So because everything is just happening so quickly and we really don't know a lot at this point, we don't think there's a risk in Canada at all, but just be aware of what's happening. And, and with any sort of virus, the, the best protection is to wash your hands. Yeah. Just keep washing your hands with soap, you know, get in all the crevices. Um, that's going to be a really, for, for something like this, this virus is a respiratory virus, really easy to sneeze on your hand and to touch something and then you've got it on yourself, you know, so washing your hands is a really good defense.
0: Uh we remember SARS and the impact it had. Where is that now? Is it eradicated? Is there a vaccine for it? Where have we come in regard to SARS? Yeah, so SARS isn't
1: gone. It's just not in a human host. So it's 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 back in its reservoir, which is a bat, and uh it 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 could mutate and infect humans again. Um there are there's no antiviral for SARS. There's no drug. Um, there are some developments of vaccines, but nothing in circulation because it's not really a threat right now.
0: So should v- we be working on vaccines for these uh, in fear that they could present themselves again? Or you don't know what form they're going to take when they do Thus, for it's impossible to do that.
1: It is. You, I tell my virology students that viruses are slippery little suckers and yeah. it's really hard to nail them down. So but, I, you know, I bet someone's working on a vaccine for this novel coronavirus as we speak.
0: Will we find the source of this? You, you, uh, for the SARS, you went right back to uh, a, a bat, I believe you said. Mm-hmm. How, how did that start again? Say that again?
1: Yeah, so uh, they think that it, it circulates in bats. For some reason, bats are just these, they can hold lots of viruses, but they don't get sick. Hmm. So A lot of really nasty viruses come from bats, so don't play around with bats, people.
0: And they traced SARS back to this. That's
1: right. That's right. And they think that a, a bat bit a civet. Um, and then, and then a human consumed a
0: civet. Wow! Can you map. do you think we will find the source of this to that extent, that detail? That seems incredible.
1: It is incredible, isn't it? Um, science is wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, the problem is with with this situation. Um, I, I was reading about the the actual scientist who identified SARS and where it came from. He went to Wuhan to try to find the source, and um, unfortunately, everything has been quite sanitized. Mm-hmm. Um so it it, it might right. be fairly challenging to try to go back and find where it came
0: from. Uh, you said that once the world uh, World Health Organization steps this up to the next level of alert that that everything changes, what does change? How does that change for governments and such?
1: Well, I think it's just a heightened sense of awareness. Uh, governments are going to choose how to best react and what's the best way to protect but it's sort of an official way of saying yes this is a global concern this is not an isolated concern this is something that all governments have to pay attention to and, and create a response to
0: this certainly won't be the last time we're affected like this will it i mean is this an ongoing scenario just simply because of the global world we live in now you know with international travel comes the ability to move viruses around the world
1: in hours yeah. So something that could just stay in one spot you know, before travel now, it, once it gets to those large hubs, um, it could be anywhere in the world within hours.
0: So at this point, we're in sort of a preventative stage and keeping our eyes open. But if you're, a Ch- if you're China, how do you tackle this, uh, considering um, I think it's in the hundreds now that are infected uh, with this. How, how, do you, how do you get a handle on it once it's got to that stage?
1: Yeah, so I, I think they're, they're, it sounds like they're, um, doing their, their best to quarantine, which we talked about before, is sort of one of the best ways to, to keep it isolated so that it doesn't spread to other humans and just amplify and amplify. So, you know, locking down cities, making sure people don't travel, um, is, is the best thing we've got at this point.
0: So as far as treatment, you just have to quarantine and then let this thing run its course. How long does it ravage somebody before it comes out the other end?
1: You know, it depends um, on... uh um, on the health of the individual before they're infected, on the age of the individual, how far along they are in the infection before they see a healthcare provider, um, but but in in all cases, all all you can do is just um, keep the person hydrated, put them on a um, you know help them on a ventilator if they can't breathe very well, and and just um, you know hope that their immune system can can fight it
0: has anyone gone through this and recovered yet do we do we have that information oh that's a really good question
1: i mean i'm I'm assuming so everyone's focusing on the deaths but there's a lot more infections than deaths so i'm assuming that yes they're they're surviving this SARS had a mortality rate of about 10 percent
0: uh we're seeing and especially in this part of the world you often see citizens wearing masks Do, do do masks help what what does that do Yeah, so uh,
1: because this is a respiratory infection, when you cough or sneeze, it's aerosolized, so it gets into the air. So masks would definitely be something that could help if you're directly around someone who's infected. With SARS, you had to be very close to somebody, almost in physical contact, to to get that infection. But, I mean, a mask is never a bad
0: idea. Um, We see people in that part of the world with masks all the time. Is that a concern? Is that to avoid a situation like this. My understanding, just simply because there's so many people.
1: Yeah, my understanding is it's it's twofold. It's one, preventative, because there's a high density of, of people in the area, um, you know, moving around in the same place. So just making sure that you're not inhaling that uh, anything from someone around you. But also, it's courteous if you're have if you're infected to wear a mask so that you don't infect
0: those around you. Uh, can wearing a mask be a detriment in the sense that you're trapping these? these germs and and keeping them close to your body in in a sense like, like would you how long would a mask last
1: right so you know uh definitely if you had a mask that you never changed and and uh you kept using it would it, be
0: like an incubator it would it? just
1: be a trap yeah
0: yeah uh what what are your thoughts on this where where do you see this going i mean nobody can predict this but you, obviously you've studied this you, you've seen what's happened with SARS and such what are your thoughts what are your concerns?
1: well the fact that it it so quickly got to um, international um, cities, so cities where um, there's lots of international travel that's concerning, and the fact that now we're seeing so many different countries with one or two cases, it's a concern that that could be the the tip of the iceberg. Um, I am optimistic because of SARS, That you know, that was a global epidemic and we've learned from that, that we can learn from this as well. Um, It is concerning whether or not all of the information is public, whether all of the infections are being reported, you know, how many people are indeed infected, we just don't know. So we just have to watch and see and and be aware, I think is the most important thing at this point.
0: how concerned are you because of lack information? Obviously, uh, relations strained between Canada and China, China and the, Uni- and the United States. At this point, are you worried we're not getting all of the information?
1: Well, it, it does seem that people on the ground um, are saying that, there's, that the hospitals are getting flooded um, with uh, infected individuals. Whether they actually have this coronavirus or not is not clear. There's just not a lot of information. It seems to be early days. So, um, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not terribly worried, but I, I I am definitely keeping my eyes open.
0: Could people in China just be having the flu and not this? Or if you're sick there now, chances are you have this. I'm sure influenza is also circulating around as well. Yeah. All right, Stephanie DeWitt-Or. Uh, Stephanie DeWitt-Or has been with us, Associate Professor, Health Sciences and Biology, Undergraduate Advisor, Health Sciences, Wilford Laurier. Stephanie, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated.
1: No problem, Scott. Have a great day.
0: You too. All right, uh, we've been talking about the uh, coronavirus and how it has um, slowly got the world's attention and everybody wondering what the next shoe will be to drop. Uh, let's hear from Canada's Health Minister, uh, Patty Haidu on all of this.
1: The risk still remains very low for Canadians in terms of uh, acquiring this particular illness in Canada. Um, The fact that there are some cases that are under further examination is actually a good sign. It's a sign that our system is working and that uh, the public health and medical professionals across the country are working together and are following protocol. As we work with our international partners and we determine more about the virus and, and the level of contagion, uh, there may be more measures that we need to take. But at this point, as I said, uh, we're confident that we have, uh, we have a system that's actually taking a closer look at anyone who meet, meets certain criteria around potentially being infected. At this point, there, haven't, there has not been a positive case in Canada.
0: Uh, the World Health Organization a meeting today said they are going to hold off on declaring this an international emergency. Here's what the World Health Organization had to say.
2: Now is not the time. That's a bit too early to consider that this event is a public health emergency of international concern.
0: All right, let's bring in Ian Lee, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. We remember with the SARS outbreak, uh, not only the human Uh, the human uh, uh, fatalities and and, and what happened and and how this affected uh, those who contracted this virus. But also, from a business standpoint, when people are ordered to stay home, it brings the economy to a grinding halt and ended up costing uh, millions of dollars. To talk more about all of this, Ian Lee is with us, Sprout School of Business, Carleton University. He's with us now. Ian, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, my pleasure. Let's go back to SARS. How much of an in- economic impact did this have?
3: Uh, I don't have that number at my fingertips, but it was very statistically significant, um, and and I don't mean you know a few million dollars. It measured as as, uh, as a decimal point reduction in GDP. Um, I'm sorry, I should have looked that up. I just <laughs> I was thinking of other things okay. to, to do the research. But your point is well taken. It had a huge impact, and it wasn't because people may sort of instantly think, "Well, that's because you know people are dying." And yes, it was a tragedy. Yes, some people died, but it wasn't the deaths that caused the decline in GDP. It was, as you pointed out, the contraction of business activity because people were rightly extremely worried. And they said, "I'm not getting on that airplane to go over there," mm. and so uh, business just collapsed. And so it was our reaction. To the SARS crisis that caused the GDP to go down. And I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have, I'm just trying to make a distinction. It wasn't the death. Of the uh, the deaths caused by it, which were you know in terms of world population, we're seven and a half billion people on the planet. Yeah. It's it's the reaction to it uh, because people are acting prudently and cautiously that that, that in turn triggers the reduction in uh, in uh, GDP.
0: We've heard that uh, the Chinese government all uh, already taking precautions, uh, yeah. especially around Wuhan. Uh, three of the cities in and around that area have have uh, been literally shut down. People are in quarantine. Are you? You concerned, we're going to see the same thing with this as we saw with it, with SARS.
3: Yes, I am. Um, I'm scheduled. I mean, it's very personal for me. I'm scheduled. I teach once a year in China, as I've mentioned to you many times in our conversation. I'm scheduled to go over there as I do every year uh, on April the uh, on April the eighth. I've already booked my ticket, and uh, we're having uh, round the clock meetings. As you can guess, we take this very seriously. I'm not the administrator. I'm just a professor, instructor, teacher but the administrators are having round-the-clock meetings. What are we going to do? Are we going to deliver it through uh, sort of a, not Skype, but through... uh uh, a broadcast mm-hmm. uh, through a special. We have custom special classrooms for online training, online teaching. Mm. We don't normally use it for our MBA degrees, uh, but uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of people saying, "Wait a minute, I, I don't want to get on a plane and go over there because of the risk." Yes, it's in Shanghai, not in Wuhan, but still, you know, these 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 uh, viruses travel because of globalization. People go from one airport to another, and this is a virus. Uh, which means antibiotics don't work, is my understanding, and I'm not trying to be a doctor here, but mm-hmm. I already asked my own doctor, what can I do? And he said, hey, it's a virus, and we don't have a, uh, an immunity shot for it yet. And um, so, well, there are antiviral drugs, as we learned uh, during the, age, uh, the horrible age crisis of uh, some years ago, because they did ultimately develop so-called antiviral drugs, But normal, I mean, and traditional antibiotics, of course, are for bacteria, not for virus. And so I'm saying, wait a minute, there's no antiviral drugs for this, at least nobody's announced there is, and there's no immunity shot I can get. So if I get on that plane and go over there, like I'm, you know, this is seriously high risk for me. Mm. And, And I think other people are coming to the same conclusion. And uh, but we don't, and I'm not trying to create fear or anything like that. No. I think the World WHO is handling this very prudently. I found the uh, the comments by the health minister of Canada uh, very uh, appropriate and 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 helpful and comforting, and uh, meaning giving us information. Look, there's no there's no uh, recorded cases yet, uh, but that you know that only could be a lag in reporting because it has been reported outside of china there's reported cases i believe in thailand and some of the other asian countries yeah. as well as the states so and you just don't know you know how how these will take off i mean the good news is and i did some quick research on this the last time there was a, a truly i mean a pandemic in the sense where enormous people number of people died was the 1919 world influenza and there were millions and millions of people that died in the 1918. And since then, subsequent uh, pandemics have been um, frightening and scary the SARS. But millions didn't die. I mean, yeah. this is a good news if you follow yeah. me. I mean, I'm not trying to celebrate yeah. anyone's death, but I'm saying I, was, I had a huge sigh of relief at the time of the Tsars because I thought this thing could multiply and become like the 1918 Spanish flu um, uh, pandemic where... Enormous numbers of people died, Um, and I've seen different figures, of uh, 50 million people. And, you know, if you go back, of course, to the bubonic plague, over 100 million people died, and Europe had very tiny numbers of people Mm. compared to today. So, you know, if you look over time, if you take the really big picture, um, our medicine and our technologies and our precautions have become better and better and and in fact the agencies are saying the health agencies are saying we we society learned a huge amount from the SARS crisis SARS crisis and they're they have much better early distant early warning systems in place so that's why i'm not panicking right now although i'm not <laughs> jumping up and down with enthusiasm over the idea of getting on a plane and going to shanghai right now
0: hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I think there's one reported case in uh, in the United States at this point. Uh, nothing really in Canada, although uh, an expert we had on said this has a 10 day incubation period, which obviously has some in the in the travel community concerned. Um, so it's not really affecting us here yet. What about China, where they are actually closing cities down and such? You know, what does that do for them? Um-
3: I, I've been to Wuhan, by the way. Uh, not, not, not this year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was there on one of my many tr- teach. I've been teaching for 20 years in China, and each time I go, because I only teach on the weekends.
0: And it's, uh, it's a city of 10 million, I understand. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes, It's a big city. <laughs> it's, it's
3: Toronto Plus. <laughs> And it's 10 times Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even a very big Chinese city. I mean, Shanghai is somewhere between 25 and 30 million, um, you know, literally. Mm. And there's another city in uh, I forget the name, it's always on the tip of my tongue, that's actually larger than the totality of the population of Canada. So, but to your point, I mean, I applaud the People's Republic of China, the government of the People's Republic of China, for taking, uh, let's be blunt, this is draconian. This is sort of how we dealt with uh, uh, pandemics uh, literally in the Middle Ages. You quarantine people and you isolated them. And I know it sounds you know, draconian and, and uh, in opposition to human rights and that sort of thing, but if you don't have any drugs called antibiotics, antiviral drugs, I mean by that, and you don't have immunities, then it seems to me as an outsider, as a layperson, you don't have much choice in your arsenal except to use the very draconian, we're yeah. going to quarantine all of you. Mm. And it may sound really harsh, mm. but you don't want the thing to spread. And China has a problem that we don't have in Canada. They've got 1.4 billion people yeah. in a landmass significantly smaller than Canada. Mm. We've got a crummy little, forgive me for being so colloquial, yeah. um, 38 million. We're smaller than California and the second largest country in the world. Now, that is mitigated. Uh, by the fact we're all flying on planes. And, of course, that moves it around a lot faster and spreads the virus much more quickly. But then we've also got first-class, world-class uh, health uh, facilities in Canada with first-class doctors, first-rate doctors. So I agree with the health minister. There's no need to panic yet. But I'm very grateful that they've all got an extraordinarily watchful eye on this.
0: Uh, SARS out of China, this uh, coming out of China, they say it could be traced to a fish market, uh, issues of of snakes, bats, what have you. Is China doing enough to keep this out of the food chain?
3: Very, very important strategic question you just asked. I mean, when, when China does something I've seen over and over and going there, when they identify a problem and they recognize it as a problem i'm not talking you know, things like uh stealing intellectual secrets which they don't see it as a problem <laughs> but when they see something that's a problem there's one thing that can be said about the chinese government they move fast really fast mm-hmm. the question though the u.s is are they doing enough to keep it out of the um out of the food chain and um uh I, as i said i've been going there for since 1997. And I go in once a year, and I've traveled over much of China. And, uh, I mean, it's partly a scale problem. There's no other country on the planet Earth with 1.4 billion people squashed into an area that isn't, I mean, China's a big country for sure, but it is nothing compared to Russia or Mm -hmm. Canada. And so it's a scale problem. How do you keep the totality of the food chain absolutely clean as a whistle when you've got so many people and they're in cities, 10 million cities, 20 million cities, 30 million cities, 38 million people cities. And people are in high rises. It's not like Canada, where still a lot of, other than GTA, most people still live in low rise in houses and semis and attached garden homes and that sort of thing. And in China, because of the sheer scale of the number of people, most people live in high rises. So you are literally cheek by jowl all the time, all the time you get in the elevator everybody squashed in the elevator yeah. i take the 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 metro because they have an excellent metro system in shanghai 17 lines and every time i get in the in the metro on it's underground the thing's squashed i mean it's just yeah. you're just stuffed with people yeah. everywhere you go i mean it's just it's just the con, the congestion and the density is just truly uh, amazing to see And just walking down the street is i don't want to say it's an ordeal i'm not trying to make it sound like that but everywhere you go there's just enormous numbers of people yeah you know and i mean you're cheek by jowl everywhere you go whether it's on the subway or walking down the street and you know you gotta go to the grocery store to get your groceries you know and you gotta go to work and and there's just so many people and and i think this is why it's not that china is uh, bad or anything like that it's just you've got so many people Mm. so close together and uh uh, and I, i think that's part of the problem and I'm saying this as a layperson. I'm not an epidemiologist or whatever the people are called that study pandemics but I, I just struck me every time I've gone there it's the scale problem of the enormity the unbelievable number of human beings in a country much smaller
0: than Canada Ian Lee's been with us Sprout School of Business Carleton University as always Ian thanks so much much appreciated my pleasure Scott thanks 226 news coming up at the bottom of the hour You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's get to something local, something LRT-ish. The LRT Task Force has been announced. And uh, joining in as well as the city manager will be Tony Villari, Richard Brennan, uh, Anthony uh, Permorano from Liuna, as well, uh, a civil engineer, Dr. Uh, Razavi from McMaster University, all part of this. Let's get the opinion of former Mayor Larry DeAnne. He is with us and on the air now. Larry, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hey, nice to be with you, Scott. So your thoughts, Larry, on uh, first of all, the task force, the task force itself. Here's let's listen to what Mayor Fred and I, Eisenberger, had to say about all of this.
2: Okay, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in in the way the province is dealing with this. Uh, I'm I'm not here to beat up the province, but uh, they've demonstrated uh, that they really are kind of flying by the seat of the pants on this one. Uh, Not prepared to actually flush out what the task force actually looks like before they actually make an announcement, which is rather odd.
0: All right, Larry, what are your thoughts? Do you have confidence in this process? Well, it's the
2: process we've got. So you've got to have confidence that people uh, will do the right thing. Uh, I mean, you can uh, look at it uh, with some skepticism. And, you know, I have my opinions on some of the members that I know, and they're particular uh, bent on things. But it's the process we've got. The province has said that they're going to spend a billion dollars on on, uh, transits and um, and transit infrastructure related items and we have to take them uh, uh, at their word at this point that they intend to carry at least that part of the mandate forward and which might include lrt as well according to the terms of reference that they've released so now it's up to the task force to to provide some some advice and recommendations to the minister and then it's up to the government to accept um, a reject or amend And one would hope that they're putting the community through this that they are not going to take their recommendation lightly but they will uh, take it uh, uh, seriously and implement the reasonable um, the reasonable projects that may be put forward Uh, in terms of the task force i I don't know the doctor uh, the civil engineer from mcmaster but uh, he's a researcher he's a scientist i'm sure that uh, he will apply that lens uh, to the decision making process uh mr brennan is a little bit of a surprise because he's a journalist and so you wonder um, what uh, what skills, uh, at least in this area, he brings to it, although he's a well-respected journalist of some 40 years, uh, lives in the community, apparently, and uh, and so has every right to uh, weigh in on what is before us. Um, Anthony Perrano, I know him very well. He's a, a skilled public relations person working for Liuna, which has tilted totally in favor of LRT, so he will bring that um perspective i'm sure to the table and then there is uh, tony valeri who's former cabinet minister transportation minister but also someone who endorsed Vito's grow who ran against the lrt hmm. and he's a friend of Vito's, and Vito's helped him up politically as well so seems as if they've balanced the pro and the con uh, but hopefully what and and, and then uh, there's somebody else oh the city manager yeah uh, who's in a bit of a tough spot quite frankly she knows what her council wants or at least uh the majority of council has voted on uh and yet she's part of this task force that has to make recommendations to the province that bypasses the council so i sort of feel very badly for the uh the city manager but she's a a highly professional person with some experience and i'm sure she's been in tough spots before and will carry out her duties accordingly but in spite of uh, of you know where people may start in this process hopefully they will apply a fair um, uh, assessment to the uh, task at hand, and do what's in the best interest of the community.
0: Would all of these, and as you said, it's well-balanced, so I guess the answer to this question is no, but would all of these people be on the same page? Are we coming at five different areas through five different ideas, five different methods of doing this?
2: Yes, well, so the, the ones that I know, uh, meaning Anthony and, and Tony, um uh, Pavarano and, and uh, Valeri, uh, they certainly are on uh, different sides of the LRT debate. Um, I'm assuming that because Mr. Valeri endorsed Vito's Grow, he endorsed his program, which was very much anti-LRT. Anthony and, you know, uh, the, 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 situation with Vila has been very pro-LRT, and Anthony would, uh, would bring that perspective to the table. So, no, they're not on the same page, but they are in the same, box, as it were, in terms of having now to do some hard work over the next while uh, to bring forward some recommendations. And they're going to be, you know, it's going to be a bit of a hothouse sort of uh, uh, process because they have to meet two or three times a week and uh, for up to a year before they they make recommendations and hopefully we'll see some interim recommendations and we'll get some sense of, of where they stand. We don't know whether the meetings will be Open to the public, or whether they're going to be, you know, behind closed doors. <clears throat> so we may have a sense of their deliberations. Uh, we don't know what staff uh, the province is uh, is putting together to assist this group. Uh, we don't know what kind of um, studies they're going to be requesting to look at, or will they launch some new studies themselves? So there are a whole number of uh, things that are yet unanswered. But I have, thought, you know, this is a this is, seems like a, a pretty good. Uh, group in terms of their knowledge, intelligence, and
0: experience, and so let's hope they do the right thing. Are, are you concerned about how we can uh, come up with a list of, of, of projects uh, to spend $1 billion on in a relatively short period of time? I mean, the city's been working on, on transit plans and LRT for for a number of years, how can we all of a sudden just shift gears and, hey, how do we spend a billion dollars? Are you concerned this is going to be more maintenance stuff than it is an actual city building project? Well,
2: and, and that's one of the questions they are going to have to deal with, right? And, of course, uh, we've had this discussion before in terms of um, a, a, pro, a program whose progress was interrupted by the province. Um, and and now we're going back to square one, um and hopefully the group will will consider at least the years of studies and the voluminous work that's been done on many aspects of uh, of uh, our our transit uh, both in terms of infrastructure and and different programs so they won't have to reinvent the wheel but they'll be able to spring from knowledge considerable knowledge that's already out there and uh, you know we we as a community reached, uh, we've had an election for heaven's sake on, on the LRT. So it's going to be tough to sort of say, yeah, but all of that doesn't count. It's going to have to count. They're going to have to explain why they veer away from it. If they do, unless part of the whispered mandate, and maybe there is a whispered mandate by the, uh, by the provinces, you know, we said we want this on the table, but obviously uh, recall, we just canceled it. So give us some fresh ideas as opposed to, recycled ideas I, I mean we're, we're gonna have to see how this group operates uh, you know these are people with experience um, they, they've had fulfilling jobs or currently still have fulfilling jobs uh, I don't think they'd be trading away their integrity um, to simply do a show uh, task force uh, that isn't going to have some independence of thought and and some ability to put forward what they think is the best solution for the city uh irrespective of of uh of, of the political side of of whatever they recommend uh i have confidence that they they are people who uh, have said yes and they said yes for the right reasons
0: so what do you think, or what is their objective here, to come up with a list of projects that we could potentially spend this on and then put them forth, and then it's up to the province to decide? Because at the end of the day, when you're talking about projects of this magnitude, I mean, it could be years before we see this billion dollars, could it not? It could be, um,
2: and, and I don't. I, I suspect, uh, well, it depends on what they, on what they recommend, of course. Uh, so if they say, if they all say, let's, let's assume they all say, look, this has been looked at and LRT is the way to go, uh, then that's where it's going to go and all the money is going to go towards that particular pot. Uh, on the other hand, if they, if they, uh, are open to maybe, uh, you know, as, as has been, uh, surmised by some, uh, you know, expanding the, the Red Hill uh, Parkway, uh, adding a lane, uh, in each direction. So some money will go towards that. Uh, if they're going to buy uh, BRT um, uh, bus rapid transit uh, vehicles, uh, money will go towards that. Uh, if uh, if they're going to do the uh, uh, the the, the uh, barn, the, the bus barn that has been talked about that is needed in the city, um, although I think that's being financed uh, in in other ways, but some money might go towards that. Uh, so it depends on 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 what conclusions they reach and what list they want to put forward. Um, to the government for their consideration, and then how the money is spent will be determined by the project that uh, uh, is recommended.
0: Uh, This obviously starts uh, next week, uh, next Tuesday, I believe. And as you said, this could go potentially as long as a year with these people meeting a few times a month and such. Any idea when we'll start to see a timeline here? I mean, I guess we can't have a timeline unless until we have projects. But to me, this just seems like punting the ball further and further down the road.
2: Well, except it, it, it does move uh, the yardstick, uh, at least uh, insofar as now we know who's on the task force. And there's, uh, uh, you know, an initial meeting to, I'm sure, work out a, uh, and approve a work plan for themselves. Have them all understand what their mandate is. Uh, they've all been talked to individually, I'm sure. They probably have not met. Obviously, they have not met as a group. And uh, they're going to have to decide who's going to chair that group. Uh, you know, some of the nitty-gritty de- organizational details, and then a work plan. What are they going to look at? And I think we will know better once they decide what it is they want to examine, and uh, the order in which they examine those things as sort of hints at the very least as to what interests them. Uh, and then uh, it's going to be a while until, uh, until uh, we see what uh, shape their discussions take, and what shape their recommendations may take. So, there's more questions at this point than answers, but at the very least, the makeup of the group has been answered, and that's a and that's a, a point in the right direction.
0: Who would have assembled this task force? What would have been the process to assemble this?
2: Well, I, I imagine the minister of transportation, in consultation with the staff, in consultation perhaps with uh, uh, you know the local MPP Don Askelly probably had a, uh, at least a hand in in, uh, in uh, Povunga. Uh, or at the least commenting on uh, the makeup. And it looks to me as if, uh, you know, the, the fear among some was that, okay, this is simply going to be a skewed task force, all with one particular point of view uh, on one side of the political ledger uh, as opposed to a fair task force. It seems to me that the inclusion of uh, of people who have been pro-LRT as well as people who may have had a predisposition against it is trying to balance interests. And that, to me, talks a little bit about fairness. The fact that the city manager is there, not an elected person, but uh, one whose duty it is to implement council's will, uh, means that they are trying to take the politics out of it as well. There's one, you know, there's the councillor there's an MPP on the task force, so they're trying to ratchet down the politics of this. So all the signs are hopeful. Now, I may be being overly optimistic and maybe naive about it, but I don't think so. Uh, the signs are hopeful that this—they've assembled a group with varying uh, opinions, uh, all uh, skilled and bright, and ready to work on behalf of the community. So I don't think they're getting paid for this. They volunteered for this, and at least I don't think they are getting paid for it. They may be getting a per diem, who knows? Uh, but but I don't think so. And, and it seems like their motivation is in the right place.
0: So, uh, the the province basically throws out everything that Hamilton's been doing for the last decade or so. They assemble a group of prominent uh, citizens on both sides uh, of the ledger here and nobody from city council. On- what does this say about city council? Okay, we don't want what? any council people involved. We're just <laughs> getting a group of, uh, of prominent citizens and then we're going to find out what Hamilton needs. <laughs> what well, is that saying?
2: Well, they're bypassing city council. They're saying, look, yeah, we are, uh, the money's coming from provincial coffers, uh, and we're in charge of this process. Uh, so that may be uh, hard for people to swallow, but that's what they've decided to do. Was it good? Uh, people have an opinion on that. Some say no. Uh, I'd be one of them. Um, it, some would say yes, and those would be the people who like the decision of scrapping the LRT. Um, but the message is clear. Uh, The province has taken over, uh, being the funder, has taken over the process, and they're going to make the decision. They've included the city manager, which means they want to work with the city, but not the political side, which means that this is about, um, uh, at at the very least, the way that they would want to present this is that it's about policy and projects rather than
0: politics. Larry Deani has been with us, former mayor, city of Hamilton. Larry, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We were discussing LRT earlier on in the show. Uh, The task force has now been announced, and one of the people on it is the city manager, uh, Jeanette Smith, and she is with us now. Uh, So we're we're very excited to uh, at least talk to somebody from the task force. Uh, Jeanette, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. I bet you everybody's trying to bend your ear today.
4: (laughs) Hi, Scott. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Yes, I would say it's a bit of a hot topic of conversation (laughs) today.
0: Yeah, and you're at ground zero. Uh, First of all, how did this come about for you? How did did this all happen?
4: Uh, Following the announcement of the task force late last year, uh, the uh, Minister of Transportation did uh, mention to the Mayor that they wanted to have a city representative on the task force and they mentioned my name. And um, I did receive, and then I received a follow-up call uh, to understand what that would look like from senior ministry officials. And then I received the appointment letter uh, just this week, and I shared it with counsel last night.
0: Uh, What did they tell you? What's the objective here? What do they want you to do?
4: So they uh, have brought together five individuals uh, who are from, you know, varying uh, parts of the city of Hamilton to provide advice to the uh, Minister of Transportation on how to best invest a billion dollars into transportation at the city. I'm a bit different than the other representatives because, you know, I'm the one sole employee of the city representing all members of council on that task force.
0: Um, Will it be tough to come up with, you know, after the city spent 10 years going in a certain direction with LRT, how how difficult will it be to come up with projects to spend this much money in what seems like a relatively short period of time?
4: Well, it's hard for me to comment on the process and how that will unfold. We have draft terms of reference, but they need to be discussed at the task force meeting and be finalized. Um, the one um, good thing I have going into the meetings is council has already endorsed and approved, you know, a transportation master plan that lays out the policies and key projects from from transit to uh, roads, et cetera, cycling. And so, you know, those are the key ones that I'll be taking to the task force on behalf of the city. I, I think um, you're right um it's how do you uh you know pick one thing over another and that's the job of the task force to make those recommendations to the minister
0: uh many uh, there's been chatter that lrt may still be on the table do do you think uh with the process and i mean obviously you haven't started yet but the way this is seeming to uh take shape that there is still some hope for lrt
4: so all I can say, comment on is I, I did share with Council last night the draft terms of reference, and again, they're just draft, but the wording on the, um, the deliverables of the task force and their advice to the Minister does say projects may include public transit projects, including LRT or highway projects. So that's in the draft terms of reference on how um, it's written to date.
0: Uh, The task force seems to be very balanced. There's pro LRT. There's uh, those that that were against it and such. Your thoughts on the other members of the task force Is, is do you think this will be something where everybody brings different ideas to the table or there has to be some sort of consensus in the end?
4: Uh, Well, certainly I'm looking forward to meeting with them. I just saw and haven't even read the full list. I understand it was announced by the minister while I was in the police budget meeting, so uh, I can't comment. I'm certainly um, looking forward to working uh, with them, and and I feel... Everyone's coming to the table with the best interests of the city of Hamilton and all its residents and businesses.
0: As a city manager, are you concerned that this money will be spent on maintenance-type projects, uh, day-to-day stuff that would have been done anyway?
4: No, I'm, not, I'm going in um, with, the, um, you know, with the view that we're going to sit and come up, if you look at the draft terms of reference and the deliverables, and again their draft, it says, you know, projects must be of a substantial benefit to the residents or economy of Hamilton, they should reflect the interests and needs of the residents. So I think when you look at the, the mandate, I think the task force members will take that to heart and see what's the best way to invest that billion dollars to truly advance the city and make it a best place to uh, raise a child and age successfully. Uh,
0: LRT was both a transportation project and a city building project. Uh, will city building be a part of this? Many are questioning, you know, they brought in highways or, or, or road infrastructure and such uh, as opposed to per se transit. Uh, introducing that to the table which wasn't there with LRT is is there is this about um, uh, doing what's best for hamiltonians uh, from a service standpoint or is there an element of city building in here
4: um, I think it's hard for me to comment right now until I go to the first meeting. Even with having the draft terms of reference, you have to sit as a task force to understand. Okay, how are we interpreting what you know this means, etc. Um, again, I think the players are going to come around the table and look at what's the best entrance for the city of Hamilton from a you know a transportation and moving people around. But I think everyone wants, of course. For this to be the best city possible, and that'll be a lens they look
0: at. Uh, surprised that this task force is made up of uh, various uh, Hamiltonians. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, there's uh, uh, the former transportation minister, uh, representation from Liuna, uh, former journalist, and uh, civil engineer, professor, and researcher at MAC. Surprised that they're, and of course, yourself representing the city, but no elected uh, people on board. What, is, what what I know you're in a very precarious position, but but, but what's the take on that? Uh,
4: you know what the The province of Ontario has put task force together on any number of topics, you know, regardless of what government is in power, and often the task force are different types. Sometimes they're made up of elected officials. Sometimes they're based on technical experts. Sometimes they're interest-based. Um, you know, I think this government, as well as all the ones previous, you know, they set up task force for different uh, purposes. I think in this case, they have set it up with individuals who represent different areas of the city to give the best advice possible to the Minister of Transportation.
0: Are you excited about this? Because it is very much a, a very public task force right now. Uh, are, are you excited about this or are you apprehensive? Cautious?
4: No, I, you know what? I come into work every day wanting to do what's best for the city. And there's always lots of challenges. You have to roll up your sleeves. I'm um, I'm looking forward to representing council in the city at the table with the rest of the members and come up with, a, you know, that best list to um, support the city.
0: Uh, do you think you'll find various people from all walks of life in the city uh, pulling you aside and giving you their opinion <laughs> before all of this starts?
4: I can honestly say there hasn't been a day that I've started here <laughs> since last May when someone hasn't shared a thought or opinion, and that includes my family.
0: Uh, I can imagine what it's like around the dinner table. So uh, you start on Tuesday, is that correct? And, and what is, what's going on? What do you know about the first meeting?
4: So I uh, haven't seen an agenda uh, for the first meeting or even, I don't know if I have a confirmed date, but I understand it's a half-day meeting next week. And, um, you know, typically, uh, you know, it's the task force to get to know each other. And I understand we're going to be looking at the uh, draft terms of reference and discussing those as well as um, looking at kind of the whole approach to confidentiality and communications coming out of the task force.
0: Are you concerned that this is about more show than go?
4: Uh, I I can't speculate on that. I, I go in with. Um, the opinion that this, the ministry um, and the group of members around the task force are there to, you know, give the best advice to the minister to move the city forward.
0: All right, Jeanette Smith has been with us, city manager, city of Hamilton, and one of the select few on the task force who will be uh, offering advice to the province on what we should do moving forward with the billion dollars. Uh, Jeanette, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated, and good luck with all of this. Thanks, Scott. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.
3: For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does.